Hi, everybody. We realized that we never recorded an intro for the first podcast episode. Uh, so now we're going back and doing an episode zero um, for the Fish Drunk podcast. Uh, my name's Dan. I'm Jesse. And yeah, these are we are the two people that, as of right now, are the sole members of this thing. So um, we figured we'd introduce ourselves. So you could just put this canonically as the first one. Like, the year 2000 would be zero, and then 2001 would be the first year of the new millennia? We could have just done it like that. Yeah, whatever. We're doing it our way, because... So are we going to upload episode one and then zero? We should. Because it'd be funny. Do you know how annoying that would be for, for future future historians to come by when they see this? As a yeah, but whatever. That's, that's what we're about on Fish Drunk. Nothing makes any sense here. The problem is that we're not fish drunk on this one. Uh, no. So now we have to put it as second because we're, we were fish drunk on the first one. Exactly. Exactly. So we don't have to explain it now because we already explained it on the first one. And if you listen to these out of order, you're a horrible human being. Yeah. Yeah. You're the worst. I hate when people listen to podcasts out of order. <laughs> like, one that's like this where it's like a continuation of the same conversation, it's weird to listen to out of order. Definitely. Yeah. But anyway, yeah, we're um, two guys in southern New Jersey who like video games and movies and music a lot. Um, we play in a band whose demo is eventually going to come out at, at some point this year. Um, but we'll talk about that later once it's actually out. I like cooking, too. I've always expressed that I want to share recipes on here. So if that yeah. comes up as well. Yeah, Can I have like a picante corner, like spicy recipes. <laughs> Jesse's picante corner, I love spicy it. Spicy memes and spicy recipes. <laughs> spicy memes for spicy teens. Because I feel like it's so boring to say we like video games, movies. Yeah, you, you know the the typical basic shit. <laughs> See, we're not going to talk about TV though, because I don't watch TV. Yeah, I don't watch TV either. I haven't I haven't actually had cable in six five years. Five years. I had it when I was up at school. But I would only use it for live events, and now I don't need that. Yeah, I didn't, I never, I haven't had cable since I moved out of my parents' place. But anyway, um, we figured as a, I don't know, an icebreaker that we'd list off, you know, some top fives just to give you an idea of the type of garbage you're dealing with. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Top five sushi dishes. No, no, oh, no. That would be difficult, mainly because I can't pronounce them correctly. Y- yeah, all the all the best ones aren't in English. I would hope all of them aren't in English. I mean, yeah, but I mean, there's like that would be Maki if we're talking rolls. Yeah. Anyway, <laughs> learned fish drunk, where you also learn things about sushi. Exactly. Yeah. So this is going to be a quick episode. We just wanted to introduce ourselves and talk about some things. So anyway. We'll start with you. What are your top five favorite video games? We'll start there. Uh, See, I was nervous that you'd come to me for this because I'm always rearranging. So, I guess I will do... Do I do a five counting down to one as like an ice... Or do I just like come out and say it? Like, I mean, you can do it. I hate the five to one, so I'm just going to say it because it's going to come up. And I think it came up in the first one that Bioshock Infinite is my favorite. Yeah. Um, I think... Definitely a There's a lack, game. especially of when it came out, starting to lack in linear story experiences, and one like that, especially that tickled me so much as a philosophy student when I was in school, um, that would obviously be my favorite. I can't begin to go into detail about it, but if you haven't played it, play it, and 
probably hurt yourself for not having played it yet because it's been out a while. Um, I put Oblivion it too, I think. Uh, yeah. For the countless hours. About a year ago, I did a 100% run through when I was traveling. Yes. I was on a uh, shipping boat for a month across the Pacific, so I did the 100% run. And I'm talking everything. Craziest story ever that you need to go into detail later. One of these days, I'll just explain the trip. Problem is, there's a lot of things that I shouldn't explain on here, given who may or may not listen to this. Uh, okay. Yeah, you know true. some of these things. Yeah, yeah, I've, I've heard some stories. <laughs> See, after 1 and 2, 3, 4, and 5 start to rearrange themselves. Yeah. I have Metal Gear Solid 5 would probably be up there. The Witcher 3 is up there. You can tell I like first person, or not first person, but single player linear experiences. Yeah. Um... Uh, for a fifth one, so um, hmm. I really like Company of Heroes. I'm a big RTS fan, so Ooh, yeah, that's, that's a great one. One that's not having screw ups like rear armor facing tank hits from the front. Yeah, um, and the modding community has been great for that too. They did a recently, uh, Steam just curated or published a World War One mod for it, which is Ooh. really solid. I mean, it's not perfect, but it's really good. And when I was doing a top five for the year, I actually had that in my top five. Uh, even though it's not an official release. If anyone wanted to know my, my number one for last year, it's, uh, well, using non-arcade games, it was Hellblade Senua's Sacrifice. Ooh, yeah. Yeah. So, I thought that was really good, because obviously I like single-player linear experience. Yeah, definitely. So, so I'm, I'm, I guess that would be my top five, even though I'm going to chime in here in a second and go, oh, I mean this, yeah, no, I want that. Yeah, just kidding. It was actually this one. Yeah. It's going to happen. It's, it's like, <laughs> you play KMF, you're going to go, oh, wait, no, I want to change that around. Yeah, exactly. I'm not explaining KMF. If they don't know it, they don't know it. Yeah. You don't, you don't need to. So, top five. If, if you name something I want to hit you for, I will hit you. Okay. <laughs> so, my top five favorite games. I think my number one is um, pro it's probably Half-Life 2. Um, just because that came out at a time where... Um, I was really kind of in, like, really into, like, video games. That was kind of, you know, I was, like, 12, 13 when I, when I discovered it. And, um, you know, playing through that, it's just I would never played a game like that before. I've, I haven't played a game like that since. Um, I just, I love the entire atmosphere of it. And the, like, I know that there's a lot of, like, physics puzzles for the sake of look at our cool physics engine but i always felt like they were done in a way that where you weren't spoon fed like it didn't feel like you were um explicitly told where to go um you just kind of had to figure it out and i i think that that like kind of helped to as unrealistic as it was like the realism of the story and it kind of made you feel like um it was your story even though like you were playing as gordon freeman um, number two is also Oblivion. Um, we kind of discovered that game around at the same time. You know, I've put more hours into that game than I've ever put into any other video game, uh, period. I've, I've probably beaten the thing like eight times over, like a hundred percent, you know, a bunch of different characters and yeah, it was just phenomenal. Um, Number three for me, I, I've talked about this a lot to you, I know. I don't know if I've talked about it a lot on the podcast, but, like, Shovel Knight, um, it's just a culmination of, like, everything I loved about, like, the retro, like, Sega Genesis, Super Nintendo, NES. Like, it just, it feels like a retro game, and it feels like it would have fit into 
that um, time frame. Despite the parallax scrolling. Yeah, despite the fact that it looks better than any of those games because you know, Parallax... I would fucking hope so. Yeah, it's it's amazing. It was it's, made in this century. If you haven't played it, like, you can get the the game in all of its expansions, I think, for like 10, 15 bucks on Steam. And it's essentially... If, there's two of the campaigns... There Currently, there's three campaigns out. Two of them feel pretty similar. The third one feels like Castlevania. So it... It's it's a lot of game for not a lot of money. I, I should stop amazing. here and say which Castlevania. Um, Presumably not the God of War ripoff one. No, okay. no. It, it feels it's the the combat feels very um, Symphony of the Night esque, which is cool. Um, but yeah, Shovel Knight definitely number three. Number four. God. Um, that's actually tough because there's there's a bunch of games that could go here. I would say probably Ikaruga. Um, I love shoot 'em ups, and that one is just like it, it's it's kind of arguably the hardest one that there is. But there's just something about the feel and like the flow of it that I just like. I love it. Like it's so. It's so hard and it's so sought after that, like, it, it kind of has this, like, weird legendary status, especially, like, in the GameCube era. Because I feel like it was one of those games that was a hidden gem at first, and now that, like, people um, are more keen to, like, discovering things now with the, with the advent of the, like, the internet now as we know it, um, I feel like that game has kind of shot up to this, like, weird legendary status, and I fucking love it. Um, number five is kind of a nostalgia pick, but I really do think it's the best game of that, at, at least the series. Um, Sonic the Hedgehog 3 with, with the Knuckles expansion. So essentially the full realized Sonic the Hedgehog 3. Because it was two essentially two games in one. You had a ton of levels with a ton of really cool variety ton of really cool mechanics and stuff you got to play as either sonic tails or knuckles and they all felt different and on top of that you could save there was saving you didn't have to start from the beginning every time you picked the damn game up that was huge for that so yeah and i cannot tell you the amount of times that i've played through it as a kid you know, as an adult, I really haven't played it so much, but I remember that being just my favorite game ever um, when I was a child. So that I feel like that kind of has to be number five for me. Honorable number six, um, probably Bioshock, the first one. Um, you cheeky cunt. Yeah. It's, I mean, there's nothing bad to say about that game, but... Um, oh, whoa, whoa, whoa. As someone who put Bioshock in with their number one, so clearly I like the, the two Bioshock games. Don't you dare say Bioshock yeah. 2 is a Bioshock No, there's game. only two Bioshock games. There is one problem with the first Bioshock. And what is that? The hacking minigame. Yeah, okay, the hacking's kind of dumb, but everything else is just like... Oh, everything else is fucking perfect. The atmosphere is oppressing and the, the story is amazing. Yeah, and I... That was... I think that was the last game that I went into having no prior knowledge of it. 
When did you play it? Um, I played it in like 07 when it came out. Well, well I mean, you had some knowledge because you were aware of System Shock. Yeah, I was aware of System Shock, but um, I, I guess as a kid at that age, I didn't put two and two together. Yeah. Um, <laughs> It'd be like that, though. Yeah. Bioshock, like, I didn't realize that Bioshock and System Shock were like spiritual, you know, they were kind of... Do you think maybe something might have given that away? Yeah, you'd think, but as a kid, I didn't realize it. And, you know, going into it, it just <laughs> felt like nothing I had ever played before. And that, definitely an honorable mention for sure. Oh, no, do I have to give an honorable mention now? You don't have to. I just figured I would. Because my fifth pick was kind of like, I haven't played that game in a while, but I feel like if I picked it up again... I would love it just as much as I did back then. So I'll do an honorable mention, and in keeping with you uh, picking a Valve game, I'll say Left 4 Dead 2. Yeah. Now, I don't think this game is this incredible masterpiece like I think that Bioshock Infinite is or something, but there's something that's just so well-rounded about Left 4 Dead 2. Yeah. It's, you just pick it up and play it. It's just I I don't like any of the online or anything. I just do the campaigns on there. I I get a friend and I go hey, and especially local split screen by the way. Yeah, it's a dying art when you record this in twenty eighteen. Yeah, I I played a lot of Left 4 Dead too. Um, it's so visceral. It's so simple. It's the perfect like zombie game. Like yeah. you really don't need there, to play another zombie. There game. is no other zombie game yeah. as far as I'm. Uh, you know what. Resident Evil, as hokey well, as it's been, beside barring 4 and 7, although 4 is purposely hokey, is still allowed because yeah. in the first episode I say that that's my first memory of video games is Resident Evil 2. and Yeah, Resident Evil 4. They kind of made it a real thing. Resident Evil 4 is a phenomenal, phenomenal game, but like, I don't know. It doesn't feel like a, it feels like a horror game. Like, it's a horror game with like Yeah, Left 4 Dead 2 is not horror, it's just... Go kill zombies. Yeah, you get Left 4 Dead 2. Fuck some shit up. Yeah, Left 4 Dead 2 is like a zombie game as you would think. Like, when you think zombies, you think, you know, Left 4 Dead. It's just, you sit down, you turn your you turn your controller on, or you plug your mouse in, and you just go, right, I'm gonna go hack some zombies up. Like, it's, you know, like on The Simpsons or something when they buy a game, and they just turn it on, and they're just playing already? Yeah. It's like that. You just yeah. turn it on, and you go. Let's just go. Yeah, exactly. Definitely. Yeah. Also, the for side notes of this, the the what AI director yeah. is a really cool mechanic to keep it fresh, and the fact that uh, that PJ, you know, uh, one of my friends and I, are able to go back and play over and over, and it feels a little different. Yeah, and also shout out to Mike Patton for doing all of the voices of all of the zombies in those games. That's a great segue to. Our favorite albums. Got them. <laughs> so yeah, top five favorite albums. Do you you have to start this one I want, because I I'm a little concerned. I don't have any concise order. This is like an, an amorphous blob. Yeah, this is a blob. Like, m music is something that's like been a part of my life longer than most, uh, mo almost everything. Oxygen. Besides that. Um, water. Eh, water. Sunlight. Eh. <laughs> Ugh, I haven't seen the sun in years. Proteins. No. <laughs> anyway, um, top five favorite records. This this definitely isn't in order, um, but the first one that kind of comes to mind, and it might still be my favorite album of all time, is a controller um, from Misery Signals. Um, you know, 
metalcore band in the mid 2000s but like this record is just so airtight the playing is phenomenal the songs are so well written they do things because it's one of those things where they feel it feels like everything is necessary and not a lot of other albums that i know of like there's always like one part where it feels like oh well they really didn't need to do this like everything feels necessary the vocals are unbelievable and you can understand every word he's saying which is like a very kind of cliche thing to say about like a metal band because if you're listening to this type of stuff long enough you really you really shouldn't have like a huge hard time understanding it but like depending on who it is yeah like lamb of god i think it's really easy to pick up on but something more along the sides of a, a blackened death yeah metal or yeah something. and if you say you understand all the lyrics in, in a cattle decapitation song yeah you're actually just lying yeah that's very true but um with him it's like it's so articulate and like the lyrics are all about self-empowerment and just like being your like being the best person that you can be and essentially like cutting out all the negativity in your life which is something that's like not common for metal bands to really talk about and in and in such a way where it doesn't feel like over dramatic, like it feels like a really really personal thing, and like yeah, it's just front to back. That album is just killer, all the way through. It flows perfectly. It's produced by uh, Devin Townsend, which his production, I think, helps it a lot because it creates like this giant atmosphere. And I could go on and on about that record. Um, Another one, uh, Glassjaw's uh, Worship and Tribute. Um, Glassjaw is probably my favorite band, which if anybody listening knows them, um, that's kind of a curse because they just dropped a new album in December. Um, but the last album before that was released in 2002. <laughs> so um, it's not the easiest band to be a huge fan of, even though technically they released another album in the middle of that. You said your favorite game was Half-Life 2. I think you have enough patience. Yeah, true. But <laughs> but yeah, Glassjaw, phenomenal band. You know, I, I love their new album too, but Worship and Tribute to, to me was like, it just, it speaks to me on like a whole nother level. Um, especially with, you know, the fact that like, the the like a lot of the topics that um he talks about are things that like i a care about and b like i kind of went through like um the very last song two tabs of mescaline um is kind of him about you know they were a straight edge band back in the day i was a straight edge kid until i was like 17 and um i kind of left that lifestyle behind um f because of very similar things that he talks about in two tabs of mescaline where it feels like it's all for show and it feels like people do it because they're scared i'm not saying everybody um but just me personally like it felt like i was that way because i was afraid and not because i actually wanted to like respect myself or like anything like that which is kind of like what the core values of that are supposed to be i was in it for the wrong reasons i wanted out and that song kind of talks about how seeing people that are in it for the wrong reasons or in it for the show like it doesn't make any sense um so that's a big one 
Uh, number three is probably Minus the Bear's uh, Planet of Ice. Um, I love Minus the Bear. Um, they're just, they're probably like my favorite non-heavy band, I guess. Um, just the way that um, everything works, like the songwriting, I love the vocals, I love, you know, the atmosphere. A lot of the topics are like cool and kind of cinematic and um, Dave Knudsen's uh, guitar playing and his manipulation of the DL4 uh, guitar pedal are, it's just so, so cool. Um, there's so many cool ideas and he's ridiculously influential um, on me as a guitar player, which segues into my next album, Botch, We Are the Romans. Um, there's not much... If you know heavy music, you've heard of this album. You've probably heard it described as one of the greatest heavy records of all time. That's all true. Um, it's something that you hear it and you're, you know, you're listening to it in 2018. It's it, like, it's incredible as it is. Like the production is just perfect for what it needed to be. Um, the songs are the heaviest thing ever. And like the topics that were, you know, kind of um, dug into on, on, those, on that record are really, really, really ahead of their time. You know, they're, they're talking about how, like fake people in the music scene and like all substance and no, or like all um, show and no substance and like all this like super, super forward thinking stuff for hardcore and heavy music. And then you find out the album got released in 1999. And that's kind of, to me, I was like, oh my God, like this band, like they were just, they're the godfathers of a lot of what's going on in heavy music now. And honestly, like the story of the band also helps where they were, you know, a bunch of friends in high school who we're going for it and like making this like weird music and like not really fitting in. And, you know, all of a sudden like, um, Aaron Turner from ISIS and, um, his out, his record label Hydra head, you know, took them on and like saw how ahead of its time it was. And then they release, you know, um, we are the Romans. And then after that record comes out three years later, they break up because they couldn't make the magic happen again. You know, there was one more release anthology of Dead Ends, but that was literally the recordings of them in the studio trying to make the magic happen again. And I think it's just the fact that they broke up because they couldn't make it happen is such an honorable way to go. And yeah, fucking amazing. Just the best. And, oh man. Um, so number, where am I at? Five? Um, that's, a, the, the last one is always the one that changes a lot. Th those four are pretty much consistent. Um, but number five, uh, I, I probably have to go with, uh, Silent Earth from Coheed and Cambria, uh, In Keeping Secrets of the Silent Earth 3 by Coheed and Cambria. Um, 
that that's the one band that kind of has stuck with me at, since a very very young age. I discovered that band when I was like eight years old on the Warp Tour, um, and they they've really were just you know I can always go back and listen to them. Amazing guitar playing, amazing songwriting, like everything about Silent Earth, like particularly that record has the most of my favorite Coheed songs. Like I could probably make an argument for like Turbine Blade as well, just because of that raw, you know, turn of the century kind of sound that was going on um, that they fit right into, even though they were taking a more progressive leaning, but... Um, Silent Earth for me, like the title track, the crowing, um, even like a favorite house Atlantic is like a, a jam. Um, yeah, n again, a lot, a lot of good things to say about that album for sure. And that's probably my top five that changes a lot, but yeah, that right now, those are the five off the top of my head. So, well, <laughs> So I'll take the less direct approach um, and just name five that I really like. The thing that's hard for me is, like, as much as I'm like, oh, an album that really speaks to me on a personal level, I like those. But what I really find is, like, my favorite albums are the ones that I just find the most solid. Um, and I'll get to those later. But to take away from your more personal somber note, my dark horse of some of my... of of my favorite albums is Alanis Morissette, Jagged Little Pill. Yes. Because that album is just banger after fucking banger. That is, I don't, I don't know why, but that album, I, I, I can't explain why, but it just, it slays that it's just, the, the, there's a little bit of like the, Oh, this is pretty good to jam and you know, shitty situation with a relationship or something. Yeah. Um, I love the fact whenever I say that I like this album, people point out, oh, doesn't it upset you that uh, Ironic doesn't have any irony in it? And I look at him and I go, yeah, isn't it ironic? <laughs> yeah. That is some meta shit. Like, yeah. that is more that does not get enough credit for that. Um, and so I'm going in no particular order. That's not my favorite album. But uh, to get to your, your Coheed thing, um, I'll go with probably what's become one of my favorites since I did that big travel was uh is there good Apollo one and now I have to say the full name of it so uh good Apollo I'm burning star four volume one through fear from the eyes of madness yeah there you go <laughs> <laughs> and if you ever wanted to make an executive fucking shit himself that's what you name it like how did that get greenlighted how did they not come in and go, listen, no. Well, the, the, the beautiful... Well, because they wrote Welcome Home, so... Yeah, the beautiful, the beautiful thing about Coheed and Cambria is that after they left um, Equal Vision Records and signed to Roadrunner, um, Roadrunner took them on with an, like a preconceived expectation that they were just going to keep doing what they were doing because what they were doing was working and so they didn't really interfere at all with Coheed which is like not something that Roadrunner's known for doing so it's rad that they let a band like that kind of do what they want anyway continue um, I really like that album I think that one's perfect if you have a uh, well, perfect for a certain sense and 
I think it has some flaws in it. Um, yeah. I think a, a lot of that middle part of the album with Mother May I and everything is very floaty. Um, it starts out really strong. It's super creepy, almost like this Joker vibe going on where he's like... Uh, he's just very softly going to kill all of you. Which, by the way, if you've read the Amory Awards comic, is not how that's portrayed in the comic whatsoever. <laughs> you've seen that scene and it's yeah. fucking creepy. Yeah. Um, he puts his hand through a nail and shit, which is referencing to uh, yeah. Welcome Home. Um, but later in that album, they they have what is like their Rush 2112 with their Willing Well series. And to start out... Uh, so good. What, the name of the first one is just from Fear Through the Eyes of Madness, yeah, right? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, to start out with that one, where it has that breakdown with the the little maggots in the middle of it. Yeah. Is, that's so sweet, and it does like that cool Led Zeppelin vibe. It gets into a little more like the lyrics start to really key in on, in the second part, um, and it's like it's it's obviously a lot of the story with him and who ended up being his wife having this like terrible falling out. Um, and a lot of other things going on. Um, and so it starts to go from, like, I care about you to you get into three, and it's like, so cry on, bitch, why aren't you laughing now? Yeah. Which is just great. And then you get to the final cut, and it's it's like, hey, we've actually listened to Pink Floyd, guys, and it's just this this killer pseudo, like, a, a, a solo ballad, I guess? Yeah. And... You know, he says the lyric of, if I had my way, I'd crush your face in the door. And the whole band just comes thrashing in with this slow riff. And then yeah. the quiet little solos over it. Have you ever seen the uh, Last Supper show from, was it, uh, it's in London, I think, right? Yeah. That, their that live performance of that is killer. I put that on at work all the time. Yeah. I really like that album. If you're, if you're having a shitty relationship falling out, listen to that. And you might not want to talk to her again or him whatever gender they are, really, but it, it kind of works more from... I, I mean, I guess if your guy's a bitch, you could say, so cry on bitch, why aren't you laughing now? But it's probably why your relationship's not yeah. working out. Relationship advice here on Fist Drunk. Yeah, but the irony of that is the girl he wrote that album about is now his wife, and they have a kid. So there's that. I think the best irony of that is that Welcome Home is their massive hit compared to everything else, and that's the fuck you song to her. Yeah... She thinks it's funny now, at least. Oh, well, that meant it pays the bills. Yeah, that too. Um, anyway. So moving on. And like I said, no particular order. Um, two are going to be from relatively the same people. Um, and one, because I find it might be the most perfect record, is um, At the Drive-In Relationship of Command. Oh, yes. <laughs> the only flaw I have with that is I don't like the Iggy Pop part. That's just because I personally don't like him. But everything feels like where it needs to be. Every song, every note in there feels ex- like perfectly sculpted to be where it needs to be. There's nothing that goes on for too long, which will happen in the next one, I'm going to say. There's nothing that's annoying, There's besides Iggy Pop. <laughs> There's nothing that's out of place and jarring. It's just... So concise. It's, it's my Left 4 Dead 2 of albums. Yeah. You just pick that up and you go. Yeah, that's true, and it kind of, I mean, the album itself kind of um, lends itself to that, because you don't get a lot of slow parts until the end. You get some, like, but, like, you get slow parts that are this, like, containment of energy. Yeah, like, you can tell you it's going to explode. You get quarantined, and, you you know, you get invalid, uh, 
which is very almost like oh. a spoken word. But like that slow tension you know is building given what's come before it on the album. Yeah. And then it just in the end fucking explodes. Yeah, that's which, that's my favorite song on that album. It's one of my least favorites. I, I actually really like Cosmonaut. Yeah, Cosmonaut. That, that song's killer. Yeah. I I was in Japan actually and this guy was arguing with me. He said, there's been no energy in music after 1989. He was one of those types, yeah. like, that I only listened to, like, early death metal. My favorite. And then I I was talking to the bartender there beforehand, and talking about, you know, Dillinger Escape Plan and all that yeah. stuff. Botch and everything, and I was like, I, I went up to him, and was like, hey, can I make a request? And he heard it, too, and he kind of like, I saw him make a little look at it, I was like, Put on some at the drive-in. He put on Cosmonaut. Yes. And if you never heard that, that song has some goddamn energy. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. Um, and so I guess, like, I don't know. This is one that might surprise you, but I've, I've come to the realization lately that I really like this album. Uh, and it's from the same people. It's Francis the Mute from the Mars Volta. Yeah. That album uh, is fucking killer. I don't, I'm not very surprised by that. Um, a lot of people, especially that we know, give it shit for... it. it it's where it starts to get all that out there stuff where they just start going off and, like, basically noise tangents. Yeah. Well, Delouse in the Comatorium isn't... It's kind of an at-the-drive-in album. Yeah, it's Relationship of Command Part 2 for me. Yeah. I think the first Mars Volta record is Francis the Mute. Yeah. Don't get me wrong. Delouse is fucking incredible. Oh, it's amazing. But Francis the Mute has just something special about it with the way it ends with a 32-minute song that that's, reprises the first song at the end. That's crazy. Uh, there's there's so many cool lyrics in there. The She was a mink handjob in sarcophagus heels. The, <laughs> those nicotine stains almost everywhere. There's just yeah. like... I, I really like to take that album and like try to write a narrative around it like to change... like. To my own, and like, yeah. know, I'm sitting here right now, and there's uh, notes for a quest I was going to write for a Fallout mod, and I'm like, trying to mod that in there with the, uh, the what's the one lyric from Cassandra Gemma? The 25 wives in the, in the, in the snakes tonight, something yeah. like that, I forget the exact lyric, and now I say it's one of my favorite, I'm forgetting one of the cool lyrics, <laughs> now, of course, and, hmm, my last one, see, I want to say an Opeth record here, I mean, it, I, I think I'm going to go with Ghost Reveries because it's the one that got me into them. That's, yeah. I, I was I was about to... That album is an absolute fucking juggernaut. Oh I, I think God. it's definitely better than Blackwater Park, which most people would say is the best. Um, it walks this fine line of, of balancing the same thing Mars Volta does with these slow parts that just are this tension of explosion, you know. If you don't know Opeth, it, it, one minute it'll be this... You know, Nordic folk sounding, and the next minute is straight up melodic death metal. Yeah, their Opeth is incredible. Jeez, um, yeah, Ghost Reveries. I mean, I was actually thinking instead of Silent Earth, maybe Still Life from. Opeth. See, I wanted to say Still Life, but lately for me, I think Still Life has a lot of the songs have a little bit of a sameness to them. That's fair. I mean, the album definitely has like a vibe. It has a vibe, but I, I think, like, White Cluster and Serenity Painted Death, like, they're kind of hard for me to tell apart, even though I love that album. That's fair. Like, I, I just, there's a lot of, you know, the 6-8 just kind of, oh, yeah. we're just playing metal. We're, Ghost Reveries is, you know, you're not going to hear Middle of Harley Quinn Forest and think you're listening to The Grand Conjuration. 
Yeah. Every song is Absolutely. just, wow, that is... it. Every song in there is like its own self-contained album in a way. Yeah. It'll, it'll have it'll start off strong or the start off like with a little like, like, you know, prologue and then go into something. And then, you know, it gets the, the middle parts to get a little soft and build tension and get a big payoff in the middle somewhere. And you get that typical story arc of rising action, climax, falling action, conclusion. And yeah. um, every song. Yeah. They're, they're Which so is just good awesome. At that. And for me, like, Opeth was one of the ones that, you know, that I brought to, like, all of our friends. Like, that, that was, like, my thing. So yeah. I, I really like that. So, those are my five in no particular order, ranging everywhere from Swedish death metal to fucking Atlantis Morissette. Yeah. <laughs> um, I think I did five, right? Yeah, that was five. Uh, Shoutouts to uh, fucking Dope Smoker from Sleep, because yeah. it's one song in an album, and it's fucking killer. Uh, also, shout out to um, Colors from Between Ooh, the Bird and Me. damn. Because um, that album kind of changed my perception of heavy music, and it got me into more extreme stuff and helped me kind of appreciate things that I thought were nails on a chalkboard before that. So, there's that. Can I give another shout out to one that I just recently decided is one of those other albums that's like, wow, this everything is solid in this. Yeah. Volition from Protest the Hero. Yeah, oh my god, my favorite Protest When album. it first came out, I was like, oh, it's pretty good, but it's not as good as Fortress. And now I'm like... Honestly, they could have no other songs outside of Volition. I'd be like, this band fucking rules. Yeah, Volition's my favorite Protest the Hero album, too. They're, oh my god. If you don't know who they are, like, even if you're not into, like, heavy music, give them a shot. Like, there's there's gonna be something there for you. If you're, you know, a Queen fan, if you're, you know, an Iron Maiden fan, you know, just give them a shot. They're fucking unbelievable. Um... Yeah, so that was our top five albums. Um, and games. And games. And do we want to do movies? No. No. I don't think I can name five movies that I've seen. Wow. I, I'm a pretty big movie guy, but... I'm not. Yeah. I'll give, you, I'll give you a hint of how not into movies I am. The last movie I saw, and this isn't when it came out, but it was just because I wanted to watch it, the Silent Hill movie. Yeah. Oh, yeah, I was there for that. <laughs> yeah, that was fucking bad. Yeah, it was terrible. Okay, so we won't do top five movies, and I well, guess I the... mean, it's because I went to school near Centralia, and it's based on Centralia. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, so I think that that's a good episode zero to give like perspective of who we are. Yeah, we're you know we're not you know we're basically doing this because we want to do it, not because you know of any other reason other than we listen to a lot of podcasts so we figured we'd try this out so i hope you guys enjoy it and um yeah we will catch you in the next real episode episode two we're doing a double header too hell yeah i'm down for it i'm down for it too so yeah this is fish drunk and uh if any of you are listening thank you goodbye <laughs> See you.